So I don't know about you guys, but I feel as though I'm so happy to have heard what Gillian had to say because I feel as though we're on the right track. And she's had all the problems we're having, so it <laughs> made me feel so much better. Do we have... Just, just out of interest, when I first introduced myself to Gillian this morning, she asked me whether I felt vets were ready for guidelines. So how many of you think vets are ready for guidelines? Okay, good. That wasn't the answer I gave, but that's great. <laughs> oh, I'm really happy with that. So do we have some questions for Gillian? Thank you very much for a, a very useful, very interesting talk. Can I just come back to the point that you mentioned about going back on the guidelines and checking them and making sure they're up to date? I mean, one of the questions that's arisen here is how often do you go back to a systematic review and how often you have to do it? Given the amount of money that you've said it costs you to produce a guideline, I can't imagine you going back very often on some of these. So who triggers it? What triggers it? And how frequently do you find yourself having to go back, rehearse, go through, change, or confirm? Really important question. And there's a, there's a whole lot of detail on the website if any of you really wants to read the, the whole process. But in, in a nutshell, every, every two years we do a scrutiny of the literature and we summarise that and publish that so people know that we've looked at the literature. In between that, we are very reliant on people who were on the guideline committee, stakeholder groups, telling us that we've missed something. <laughs> and because of the profile of NICE, that does happen. We know, we know if there's something important that's come up and we should be looking at it, we, we get told and then, and then we, we, we move more quickly and we might just update a small part of the guideline very quickly if it's not right. But it's really, it's really interesting in that two-year cycle how often there are lots of new publications but the actual recommendations don't change. Most of what the new stuff is saying is just reinforcing what we've got there already. And we do need to illustrate that we've looked at it and we've considered it, hence the report on the website. But, but it's remarkable how often it's, it's reinforcing rather than overturning. But I'm, I, we've tried to use grade with respect to food production. I know you mentioned food. And one of the major difficulties we've had is the issue of values and preferences and inclusion of stakeholders and citizens when it comes to food production. And I was wondering if you've had... Because, of course, there's enormous differences in how some citizens view animal, animal food production as to... and how the community feels, especially with respect to antimicrobial resistance. And I was wondering if you could discuss an example or how you deal with topics where you're trying to make a guideline where there's enormously different values and preferences in the group of stakeholders. Right. So, so the question, different values and preferences in the stakeholders. So with respect to the use of antimicrobial resistance is, is, is a good one as an example. How producers potentially feel about the use of antimicrobial resistance as opposed to some citizens, right, who are stakeholders in food production. There's huge disparity. Similar things with, uh, especially in agriculture, we have huge disparity, and I'm wondering, and I'm referring particularly to grade, which has that one section of values versus preferences, and I don't know if NICE has the same thing. Mm -hmm. we, we, do use, we do use grade, 
there are always different perspectives. We try to make sure we, we balance a range of perspectives, objective perspectives on the independent committee, as, as I described. But the, if, if I had to set out the core differences in perspectives, there are, there are a number of groups. There's the industry, and the industry is the biggest stakeholder, and they are so so clear in their perspective of getting their new products used. They are not allowed to sit on that independent committee, but they are allowed to comment at consultation. There's the perspective of clinicians who, who, who generally want to do the best for the patients. And there is the funding perspective. That's another really important issue at the moment because when we consult on things, it will often be the health service the commissioners, the managers who say, hold on, we can't afford this, you can't be recommending that. Um, and, and patient groups, those, those are our, our big groups that we have to manage. And our approach is through the consultation, so that everybody responds, everybody's comments are in the public domain, our responses to those are, are also made, made public because it's not... It's not straightforward to manage. It's never going to be a black and white. As I said before, it's all shades of grey. It's judgment. And the best way of handling that is to be open and transparent. And then you can be challenged. <clears throat> we can probably just do one more question. I know we're a bit over time, but just one more question. Hi, Gillian. Um, absolutely excellent talk. I wish we could have something like this in veterinary. Um, maybe veterinary... Institute for Clinical Excellence. Yes. The acronym might be a bit of a problem now. <laughs> it's um, a great acronym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, so I'll, instead of being chair of knowledge, I can be chair of vice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be so cool. Um, what is the scope um, for NICE? Is it just um, surgical and drugs, or do you cover processes and diagnostic tools? Um, so, how wide is your remit for to issue guidelines for clinical activities? Good, good question. It, the, the remit for NICE has grown, and we have a program that looks at pretty much all new technologies now. So that covers diagnostic tests, new medical technologies, new drugs. And we do, we do a pretty hard-nosed, cost-effective analysis of all those new things as they come onto the market uh, and I, I haven't sort of got into the detail of those. There's also something that we do that looks at new interventional procedures. So it might not involve a new bit of kit. It might, but it, often it doesn't. It's just a surgeon or a radiologist wanting to do something different, get into the body cavity in a different way. Lots of things around how you deal with prostate problems, <laughs> all sorts of ways of frying the prostate. And, and those things we look at almost from a licensing perspective. So we say they're safe and effective. The rest of it's much more about money and value for money. So so whole program around technologies, the guidelines, I've been focusing on the clinical world, but over recent years, that approach that I've been describing has been expanded into public health, so population approaches to improve the health and more recently into social care, which is quite a big challenge for us as the population gets older. How do we support care? It's not funded nationally like the NHS. 50% of care is funded by individuals. There's very little evidence 
could, could give you a whole different lecture on the challenges of doing that. But, but so broad scope, health, public health, social care, big guidelines and all the technologies. Okay. Thank you very much. And as you can see from the questions, there's a huge amount of interest. I can see future days being <laughs> sorted about around this. Very, very happy to, Thank you. to contribute again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.